Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajemra and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. All right, great to have all of you. We are in lesson 24. Our text tonight is Matthew chapter four. We're in a series called Unshaken, Strong in Faith No Matter What. We just finished, I think last week we were in uh, the Old Testament. We, the last lesson we did in the Old Testament was on Daniel uh, chapter three. And uh, we are now jumping into uh, the New Testament and we're sort of making our way through, again, we're not covering everybody in the Bible, but just prominent examples of, of areas in our life where we feel shaken. And there's no greater area in our life where we feel shaken, where we feel unsteady than this area of temptation. And so uh, tonight the lesson is called Unshaken When Temptation is Too Strong to Resist. Uh, God wants us to resist temptation. We know we're supposed to resist temptation, but the truth is you and I face temptation every single day in, in consistent areas in our life. And we spend so much time in our life feeling the sense of defeat as if we're uh, failing. And often we are failing, and yet we are called to live victoriously. And so there's this disconnect. And I pray that as we see the example of Jesus here in a minute, uh, our hearts would understand even more how we're supposed to engage uh, with this battle against temptation. Because the fact is temptation is a part of life. And so uh, I know that you might have grown up in the church and, and hearing all sorts of things about temptation. I know that I carry a lot of guilt all the time. I'm that person by by nature. I tend to be very driven to, to perfectionism and a standard that I can't even keep myself at times. And yet God has called us in Christ to be perfect. So how do you wrestle with those things? Well, uh, God uh, taught us through uh, his son. Uh, God is a trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And God, the Father sent God the Son into earth in the form of man. So he was all God and all man at the same time. And don't ask me to explain it. I am just an ER doctor. I cannot explain to you the intricacies of the Trinity. But Jesus came. And in this Matthew chapter 4, in the temptation of Christ, we see him fighting this battle against temptation and winning as fully man, not as God. It wasn't like he was God and he just was like, but um, you know, I'm, I got this. No, he actually fought the temptation as a human. And so God allowed him to go through this for a reason. And we're gonna see in a minute what it is. So unshaken when temptation is too strong to resist. And as we get into this, I want you to be thinking about what is it that is your constant temptation? I find in my life, there's a couple, there's not a lot, there's, I mean, we get tempted a lot, but there's certain areas that always get us, always get us. And you can call them besetting sins. Uh, I don't know. You can call them um, bad habits. Some people like to call them. I think they're more than that. They're destructive to our soul. But inevitably, if you look at your life over the course of decades, you and I have patterns of temptation that Satan knows will always get us. And I think the more we understand that, the more we can have the hope to live victoriously. And so I think the context of Matthew 4 is important. This is like the first 
kind of the early, uh, inter- I was going to say the first thing we see about Jesus, but it's not. It's really early in the course of his ministry. We know that he was born in early Matthew, and he went to Egypt with his family to be protected against Herod, who wanted to kill him. And then he comes back and grows up in Nazareth. He's a carpenter, and until age 30. And at age 30, he declares, he comes to say, okay, I, John was his precursor, you know, the man who came and said, you know, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And then Jesus makes this appearance. You know, we hear nothing about Jesus. There's like one description of an episode where at age 12, he's in the temple teaching with authority. And then nothing until the baptism. He shows up to where John is preaching. He gets baptized. And at that context, at that place where he gets baptized, here's what we, here's what we see. Uh, and I'm going to pick up the reading first in Matthew 3, verse 16. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is incredible. Uh, By the way, this account is also in Luke chapter uh, 4. And uh, the synoptic gospels are the gospels. There's three synoptic gospels and they tell, you know, sort of they follow the same stories and and they tell them from different angles. And so you see this in actually in chapter, in Mark, there's a very brief description of the temptation of Jesus. You see it at the very early onset, Mark chapter one, verse 12. But you see, even in Mark chapter one, verse 11, a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with you. I am well pleased. And then in, in, in Luke chapter four, we pick up the reading without that description of the baptism. But I think it's important to get the context because it is out of this anointing, this uh, pleasure, this, this, this blessing of, um, of, of the Lord that we're going to jump into chapter four. So he literally, the God, the father says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And now we jump into chapter four where we're told, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why is that important? I think there's a sense sometimes when we're tempted that we are bad, like there's something wrong with us and therefore we're tempted, like we haven't lived right. And I think we forget that it is the very person who is living for God, who is anointed by God, who Satan will target. And I I know we sort of know it intuitively, but I'm telling you in my life, when I face heavy temptation, I'm always like like self-flagellating, condemning myself, like it's me, it's me. And and, and certainly when we fall into temptation consistently, I can see why we have that guilt and shame that we carry. But remember that temptation is not for the spiritually weak. In a sense, if you're not living for the Lord, you don't have a target on your back. Satan is not coming after you. But it is really in the context of God's good pleasure. Jesus has is, is just been anointed and baptized, and, and he's about to set off in ministry. And it is in that context that the Spirit of God, by the way, it wasn't Satan that led him in the wilderness. It was God's Spirit that led him in the wilderness. It was a very specific purpose to it. I read an interesting commentary today that said, I wonder if Satan would have preferred not to be in this encounter. Because remember, this encounter and how Jesus defeated Satan is for our benefit. It gives us the victory. And so I never thought about that. Satan didn't have a choice. It's the Spirit of God led Jesus to the wilderness to be tempted. And the Mark account, if you read a couple of verses in Mark, you, you the, re, the interpretation is that he was tempted for the 40 days. And in those 40 days, he wasn't just in the wilderness. And after fasting, verse 2, 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So now the Spirit leads him in the wilderness. He's fasting. He's very hungry. So there's a deep need. It's a physical need. And we're going to see in a bit this hunger displays itself in our life in many ways. And I'll point out some areas where you might be hungry. And in that context, the, temper, the tempter, Satan, came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
And Jesus answers, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. So Satan is quoting scripture to Jesus. It's pretty ironic. And yet you and I know people in our life who are not walking for the Lord. Even this year with the politics, it's so easy for people who don't believe in Jesus to be like, but doesn't the Bible say you need to love your neighbor as yourself? And you're like, what do you no, but and so here you know i'm not saying they're saying but i'm just saying the word of god can be manipulated we'll get to that in a minute uh satan goes on and says and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone jesus answers again it is written you shall not put the lord your god to the test again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and he said to him all these i will give you if you will fall down and worship me jesus said to him be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Temptation is not easy. Let's just say this right up front. Temptation is not easy. If you're walking right now in a season where you're heavily tempted, first of all, take heart. Satan comes after those who are anointed by God, chosen by God, walking with the Lord who are in whom God is well pleased. And so temptation is not easy. It is not for the spiritually weak. Satan attacks those whom the spirit anoints. Temptation often takes place in the wilderness and Satan capitalizes on our hunger. So what are some areas of hunger? Well, there, we have many of them. And, and, and your season of hunger, by the way, we've talked in this context, in this group community about relational hunger. There are many people who feel like sort of relationally alone. That is an area of hunger. It might not be physical hunger like Jesus went through. He fasted for 40 days, 40 nights, but that hunger, maybe you've been 40 days and 40 nights, maybe you've been 40 years and 40 nights where you don't have close relationships. You feel in a wilderness relationally. Single people, I think sexually, there's a hunger if you're single, whether you're same sex attracted or, or, or opposite sex attracted. The fact is, if you're single, God has intended you to be pure, celibate, to live a certain way that is pleasing to him. But there might be a sexual hunger. That is an area of potential temptation. You can be in a financial hunger. Maybe you're in your work and you've tried to be diligent. You've tried to save money. You've tried to be faithful. And yet you're still making the same income you made 10 years ago. And you are financially strained and you are hungry. And that is your area where Satan might come and attack you. And, and, and I think it's important to think about those things. And so there's emotional areas, there are relational areas, sexual areas, there's, there's financial areas. Think about your life. Where is it that you see areas of hunger? And I believe those are the areas that usually Satan is going to come and attack. Why? Well, because it's in those areas that we're going to try to find quick fixes, which is sort of that first temptation. And, and by the way, the, there were three temptations. And if you look at the verse of in 1 John uh, chapter 2, Verse 15, where it kind of summarizes the, the first John 2, 15 through 17, we're told, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then here, there's a summary of the areas that each of us will struggle with in life. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. So those three areas... The lust of the flesh is the old King James, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Those are the three areas that Satan comes after. In the first temptation, he comes to Jesus and says, hey, turn these stones into bread. What's he doing there? Well, he knows that Jesus is hungry and Jesus has the ability as a divine, remember he's all God, all man, as all God, he could have turned these stones into 
food. We know that he healed people later in his ministry. There was a season of three years where he did miracle after miracle. It would have been very easy for Jesus to turn the bread into food. But why did Jesus resist that temptation? Because Jesus understood that you cannot satisfy your own needs, that God has a plan. And, you, and part of trusting God's goodness is believing that God will provide for our hunger in his time and in his way. And so the heart of the temptation wasn't even about food. It was about trust. This is the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were tempted. The issue was never about the fruit on the tree. The issue was, do you believe God? Do you believe that God is good, that he is faithful, that he would never ask you to do something that didn't have a good reason and that wasn't for your best? And so Jesus sees right through it. And rather than, than feeding himself immediately, and so much of our failure and temptation is that, why do you think there's so much sexual sin in the United States? Well, because people are sexually hungry. And, and why do they do things that maybe the Lord has asked us not to do for our own good? Well, because they want to feed that hunger now. That's what pornography is. It is feeding a temporary feeling now. Of course, we don't see in the moment that you're walking down a lifetime of pain in making that decision. What, what do you think? Cheating on your taxes. I mean, you can go on and on and on. Lying on your taxes. What? You're getting a temporary gain of not paying the money. And so you're potentially feeding that initial hunger. Uh, but in the long run, again, so many ramifications in that. And so Jesus sees through that. And so he fights back with the word of God. Let me give you the first big idea for tonight. It is this. When temptation is too strong to resist, God's word is my only anchor. Jesus doesn't, you know, his, his strategy to fight temptation is very basic. And, and if you've heard any sermons about the temptation of Christ, you've heard this. He uses God's word. It's his strength. He knows the word. First of all, he quotes from Deuteronomy three different times. So, so the first temptation is the lust of the flesh. The second one is the pride of life, where Satan says, uh, jump from the pinnacle and uh, save yourself. You know, he'll command his angels that God will save you. You know, jump, test God, basically. And here it's the pride of life. It is the spectacular. You know, look at me. And it's him getting the glory. And, 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 and Jesus puts a stop to that. And so even though here we see that God's word, by the way, can be taken out of context and used again against us to try to defeat us. And, and, and that has happened to me in my life where people have used God's word to put on me the spirit of condemnation. And what I see often is that there's a difference between knowing God's word as in just saying it. Anyone can say it knows God's word. We see it in, in Matthew chapter four versus knowing God's heart. See, there's, I think this idea, I think I grew up with sort of this idea like like I could magically, you know, God's word was like a magic wand. If I memorized the verse and I said it three times, I could set the temptation away. And while God's word is powerful, it's deeper than that. When you use God's word, you're, you're, you're lining yourself up on the submission to God. So, so there's a difference between Satan who's saying God's word and there's a difference between Jesus who knows God's heart. And so when Jesus uses God's word, first of all, he's grounded in the word. He knows the Old Testament. He's quotes from Deuteronomy each time he fights this temptation. He uses God's word. God's word is his anchor. And so is it important to memorize scripture? Yes, it is. Does scripture give us power against temptation? Yes, but it's more than just saying words because you see Satan said the words in a couple of different places here. He quotes verses from scripture. And he says, look, doesn't God say? And Jesus corrects him and he says, you don't understand a thing about the heart of God. And he takes God's word and he uses it appropriately to get strong and to, to stand against this assault. So God's word is food when I'm hungry. In his hunger, he doesn't, he, what, what is the verse he goes to? It's Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which we talked about early in our Unshaken series. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Somebody in this room needs to hear that. Maybe you're struggling in your relational 
you know, friendships or, or again, with your sexuality. And, and you, man, I can't imagine a life where I never eat of blah, blah, blah. And, and Jesus would remind you, man, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of mouth of God. You want satisfaction? You want fullness? You want, you want the abundant life? What well, comes by eating the word of God, by communing with the spirit of God, by, by meditating on who God is as he gives you those words. God never leads you into a wilderness where he uh, won't uh, get you through it. Psalm 23, he walks you through the wilderness. He's with you in it. And he uses those, those, those desires that look like they're, they're squelched here in this life. Sometimes we look like our desires, like, man, I had this desire and it didn't happen. And, and Jesus uses those. And God uses those desires that have been thwarted and dreams that have been shattered to reshape our heart, to recognize, uh, not to deny our desires, but to recognize in our desires a deeper longing for the Lord. Why? Because man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so God's word is food when I'm hungry. God's word taken out of context can be used to try to defeat me. And God's word unleashed is louder than the voice of my fleeting longings. In every area of hunger and wilderness and temptation, you've got your hunger and you've got God's word. And when you unleash God's word in your life in those areas where you're hungry, where you're needy, there's a power that is greater than your, than your fleeting longings. Longings, you, you know, you've walked there, you've been tempted to sin, you've fallen to sin, and then what happens? You're still hungry. And then you do the same over and over, and there's a repetitive cycle, and it's exhausting. And so Jesus three times uses God's word to fight Satan. He uses it appropriately. He uses it because he knows God's heart, not just the words on a page, but he knows the heart of God. And then, so when temptation is too strong to resist, God's word is my only anchor. When temptation is too strong to resist, God's son is my only hope. See, because Jesus faced temptation, he understands our struggle. He understands us. He knows how hard it is. He was 40 days. Why did the spirit send him in the wilderness? This is a huge event that happened. And it happened... Of course, for Jesus, because he defeated Satan in those moments, he was without sin. Uh, there's a, I'll give you a few verses in a minute that uh, talk about Jesus being without sin. In fact, when we do it now, jot these down. Uh, you got, was Jesus really without sin? Well, we see it here in the temptation, but multiple times in scripture we're told in 1 Peter 2.22 and 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Hebrews 4.15 and 1 John 3.5, just to name a few examples. There are others. And, and, and so this it's easy to, no, it's not easy to be without sin, but it would be easier to be without sin without a direct attack. But, but, but Jesus is directly attacked by Satan. Why? Well, Hebrews tells us, since we then, Hebrews 4, 5, 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So what is the result of that? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. See, I, I sometimes have a way of twisting scripture in my memory because I go, well, well, if he, uh, the problem with me is that I, he, he should be enough and, and, and he is my only hope and yet I keep falling and yet he underst he, he, he's, a, he's a savior who is compassionate. He knows how hard it was and, and we'll get in a minute to how we deal with our failure. But for now, because he faced our temptation, he can understand us. You can never come to Christ and say, Lord, I'm, I'm struggling with the weight of this temptation and be like, I don't think you understand me because he does. He's been there. 
There's power in that. If you've struggled with illness and you meet somebody who has had the same illness, it's, you, you have a connection there. When I go speak to groups with singles, they, they have a connection with me. Why? Because I'm speaking from a place of singleness. And so there's a mutual understanding that she gets our experiences. So, so much of what happens in the temptation of Christ is simply meant to encourage us because now we have a savior who can sympathize with our weaknesses. But because Jesus, he didn't just face temptation. Because Jesus defeated temptation, he can help me where I'm weak. You see, he, he gives us the model of how to fight this. And, and I, again, I think that we just, I think we think there's a magic pill that we can take and some Christians have it and some Christians don't. And yet you see Jesus, there was, there was a magic pill. There was an appropriation of scripture in each circumstance and a firm belief that it was God who led him to this temptation. It was God who would get him through it, though he was incredibly hungry. And so his victory, because he defeated temptation and the evil one, he can help me where I'm weak. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a, is a very uh, famous verse that, uh, that one ought to memorize in terms of fighting temptation because it's an encouragement to remember this. And it says, it says um, therefore, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And it's talking about Jesus there. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You go, man, you don't understand how much temptation I'm going. Well, God thinks you have the ability. How? Why? Because of Christ. Because he defeated temptation, you have the ability to fight it. Now, he says, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In other words, he gives you an ability to run. <laughs> Most of us don't want that because it feels too good in the moment to satisfy our longings with what we think will satisfy our needs. But it takes, you know, I know, it takes falling. Each time we fall into the temptation, the trap of the evil one, we wake up and realize, man, that was not satisfying. God knows what will satisfy us, and it's him. And so when temptation is too strong to resist, God's son is my only hope. Because he faced temptation, he understands my struggle. Because he defeated temptation, he helps me where I'm weak. And because Jesus overcame temptation, I can claim his victory too. So we can stand before Satan. I don't recommend engaging with Satan. I really don't. I know people do a lot of like warrior with Satan. Like, get thee behind me. Listen, man, you focus on the Lord. You focus on what he's done for you. Let God, God has already defeated the evil one. And, and I, I really believe that as you understand that we're fighting from a place where, he, where we're already victorious because of Jesus, because he lives in us. And so we have, when Satan comes against you, he has no power over you because, because of what happened in Matthew 4. Because Jesus overcame him, because he defeated him, because he stood strong against the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the lust of the eyes in every area that you're tempted, whether you're into covetousness and materialism and wanting what other people have and building your own earthly kingdom, or maybe for you it's egoism and the spectacular, that's the pride of life, or maybe for you it's hedonism, the satisfaction, feeling good, you know, physical needs. Whatever area you're in, Jesus has faced it because he overcame temptation uh, he can give us the victory too. And then thirdly, and this is probably the most encouraging. So the first big idea when how to stand strong when temptation is too strong to resist. Number one, when temptation is too strong to resist, God's word is my only anchor. Number two, when temptation is too strong to resist, God's son is my only hope. And thirdly, when temptation is too strong to resist, God's grace is my only deliverance. Look, the reality is, the truth is, no matter how you look at it, we are all going to face temptation and we're often going to fail. 
The goal is to become victorious, but we are being sanctified. We are a work in progress. And, and just because you failed, by the way, just because you failed against temptation today, because the truth is that every one of us has areas in our life. Maybe you have been tempted in discouragement and you've already failed. Maybe you've been uh, tempted to fear and you've already failed. Maybe your contentment is the battle and you've already failed. Maybe it's jealousy, what others have, you've already failed. Maybe it's, you know, pornography and you've already failed and you feel dirty and you feel condemned and, and you know what you should be doing. Maybe it's your words, maybe whatever area. The truth is that as you, we might not be where we used to be, uh, but we're not where we need to be. But the truth is many Christians, I believe, struggle with even saying that I'm not where I used to be. I think the reality is that uh, the longer I'm a Christian, the more aware I am of how often I fail in temptation and in every area. I'm not talking just about physical temptation, every area. And it's so easy to fall into the spit of self-pity of God hates me. How can I talk to God? You know, I'm good for nothing. And we live by our works, forgetting the very grace of God. And so when temptation is too strong to resist, as it will be, because we're still human, and though in principle, yes, we are to be able to stand strong, and yes, Jesus has paid the price, and as we understand these things and grow in freedom, we will gain more victory. But if you're not in that place now, maybe your temptation is to think, man, am I even a Christian? Because I think that's where I've gone in my life. But if I can't even resist sin, am I even a Christian? And, and that's the biggest lie that Satan would get against us. This is what happened to Adam and Eve. And so, and so when that happens and temptation is too strong to resist, you've got to remember that God's grace is my only deliverance. Remember grace, the definition of that word. I love the Dallas Willard definition. It is God doing for me what I cannot accomplish for myself. Romans 6 talks about where sin abounds, grace abounds, actually Romans 5, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. And that is intellectually, we love it, but practically we resist it because in us is this desire to be, oh, I got to get it right, I got to get it right, I got to get it right. And we live by works and we're constantly living in a spirit of condemnation that makes us feel as if, well, God doesn't love me. He doesn't want to talk to me. He, he's helping them fight temptation, but not me. And, and the further we get into these lies, the worst we, we get because now we're more likely to fall into more temptation because we're not standing strongly in what is already ours in Christ because now there's a barrier between us and Christ. It is the barrier of condemnation. And Romans 8, 1 says, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so grace is letting God do for me what I cannot do for myself. It is focusing on him, on his goodness, on the price he paid for us. The truth is that we are going to fail. The truth is that God already knows that we're going to fail. And he already knows what we've done and what we will be doing. And he's still, while we were sinners, died for us, Romans 5, 8. Remember in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ didn't die for us because we were perfect. Like so often we beat ourselves in the back. We think, man, I'm so lousy, but, but this is us with Jesus. Like Christ has, knows what messes we are gonna make. He isn't, God isn't like, oh, I would die for Lena, except, you know, in 2020, she's going to have this miserable. Like, it's not like that. He already knows these things. And despite knowing how badly we'll fail, he still loved us. He still loves us. He still loves you. And I don't care what you're carrying tonight, what you bring to the table, things you might not feel comfortable ever telling anyone. Listen, the sooner you shed light on your battles, on your areas of temptation with someone you love and trust, the freer you'll start feeling and the more you'll be able to fight the battle. There's accountability and God knows what you struggle with. It's not a surprise to him. It was, it's the spirit who led Jesus into the wilderness. 
And then, and, and, and so there's, there's openness with the Lord and there's no surprises. No, you can't surprise God. Even tonight, if you, if you shut this lesson and kneel by your bedside and say, God, I struggle and you name it, whatever, lust of the flesh, you know, I struggle with lust. I, maybe you struggle with materialism. God, I struggle, I love money. It's a struggle. I don't know if I love you more or money more. You, know, you name it to God, like he already knows it. And Satan is pouncing on you in those areas that he knows you're weak. And so God's grace is on you already. He's already won the victory and his grace embraces you even in your sin. He doesn't want you to stay there. This is, the beauty is when you connect with God at that level, when you understand his love and his goodness, that you don't have to be ashamed in Christ because you're loved and you're forgiven. Then that opens up the door to freedom. Say, look, man, I don't need to turn to my sin because I have a God who satisfies me in my deepest places. You can come to him in your brokenness and you can ask for his forgiveness. And 1 John 1, 9 assures us that we confess our sins. He is indeed faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. I mean, this, is, this is us with Jesus. Imagine how much worse we'd be without him. And we're a work in progress and we're growing and we're changing. And, and part of the freedom is being able to admit, like, look, it's not perfect, but, but it's paid for by the blood of Jesus. And so Jesus had to, walk through this wilderness perfectly for our sakes. And so the truth is that God's grace will help us get stronger each day. God's grace is what helps us get stronger each day. He's building us up, guys. He's building us up. You sometimes don't see it. It's like when you were, you know, if you ever uh, went home for Christmas and you hadn't seen relatives in a while and, you know, if you have these kids that are like eight years old and 10 years old and they don't see that they're growing, but then they see an aunt or an uncle after two, three years and the aunt and the uncle are like, man, you're huge now. In fact, this happened recently. I was home and my sister-in-law showed me a picture of my nephew who's now 15 and, and he all of a sudden in COVID, he had this huge growth spurt and, and we've all sort of seen it. Like he looks like a more a man now. He's not quite, but they're almost... And she pulled up a picture from February. They had a prom and she showed it to me and I couldn't believe it was the same boy. And that's, I believe, what happens in our Christian walk is we're growing. God is doing a work in us. We don't see those growth spurts, but they're happening. And what Satan does in lying to us is helping, he keeps our eyes fixed on our failures so that we can't even imagine a world where we walk freely because we're under that burden of condemnation. And so tonight, I wanna encourage you, no matter where you have consistently failed. And I know what you're thinking, man, I should have known better. I should know better by now. I, it was, it, I feel worse about my sin now than my sin 10 years ago because I've been in Christ longer. And yet God knows that. And still, Jeremiah 31, one of my favorite passages of scripture. In fact, I was on a walk yesterday and the Lord brought it back to my mind. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away, and here's what he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've quoted that first to you guys before because it is, it is life-changing, it is life-giving. So, um, when temptation is too strong to resist, God's word is my only anchor, God's son is my only hope, and God's grace is my only deliverance. You don't need to be perfect, you simply have to rely on God's grace. And if you go, man, that doesn't seem right, like, that's grace. It almost feels unfair. Remember the parable of the 
wage, the guy who hired people in his field and the guy was hired at nine in the morning and then at noon and then at three and then at five and everybody was promised the same wage. And when they came to payment time, the guy at nine was happy, he got his dollar. And then the guy at noon came and he was like, he got a dollar too. So the guy at nine was like, how do you get a dollar? And I got a dollar, I worked three extra hours. Then guy at three got a dollar. He's like, I didn't hear, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not, he wasn't a dollar, I'm just saying. And then the guy who showed up at five got a dollar too. And now they were really angry. Like, how do you do this? This isn't fair. Man, it's grace. That was the point. It's grace. Jesus says, didn't, the parable says, didn't I promise you this? And our eyes, again, are so focused on any, everything else, everybody else. And, and grace, the, the, the crazy, radical grace of God is that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't justify my behavior, but it certainly helps me out of that pit and embraces me even in my mess.